forever. Dog. Hi, Adventure Kateers. It's me, Ben Blacker. And me, Ben Acker. The Thrilling Adventure Hour is returning with brand new episodes starting Monday, October 29th, available on all the podcast apps, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google. What do you use for your podcast? Uh, whatever's on my phone. Please subscribe to our Patreon page right now so that we can pay for everything and give you great stuff in return. You won't be paying for this episode. This is free. Gratis. It's patreon.com slash thrilling adventure hour. So we hope you enjoy these new episodes. I'm confident you will. Then I'm confident that they will. You will. You guys will. This is Ben Acker. And Ben Blacker. See you. (laughs) Inhale. Not if I see you first. Coming to you from Hollywood, Los Angeles, California, America. It's the nation's favorite new time podcast in the style of old time radio. The Thrilling Adventure Hour. From my beginning, my promise was endless. My reach is greater now than my promise, and when seeking my equal, you shall find only none. (laughs) This is so, as mountains are mountains, and trees are trees, and rivers and oceans are as they are, and so I am, as I am, the king of coffee. (laughs) Hear how it sounds. King of coffee. Though the words do ring melodious as a nightingale's canticle, there are but those for whom the title stirs within them nothing. Nothing. It is for them as but the dirt beneath another's finger's nails. And why? Why, if I am me, and I am, do those who know it not and know me not possess such enormity of ignorance as to fill all the skies of England with... They do not feel my grip upon them because they do not drink coffee. Like Peter, they deny me. No! I deny them! I do not grant them my gift, and I wish upon them plague. A plague that robs them of their squandered mouths. Then, banish mouth, they shall but perish. Slow crying, or would cry, but cannot. For mouths they do no longer possess. But no, it is the crown's burden to suffer the wretched that they may one day become their better selves. If yet you have not, I beg you a beg that does not befit a king. Please, for thine own sake and for the crown, drink Work juice. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. Virtues and the radio divisions underwritten by the Virtues Corporation are just the thing for every occasion and no occasion. South, you got to give that guy, give him some mouth to mouth. Uli, 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 talk or song, you got to breathe that breath, breathe it into his lungs.
Welcome to the Thrilling Adventure Hour panel at C2E2. How are you? I'm John Ross Bowie. As of 20 minutes ago, I am moderating this panel. (laughs) What's the worst that could happen? Uh, uh, We're going to go down uh, real quick, um, uh, and everyone's going to introduce themselves, and I'm going to ask some questions, and you're going to ask some questions, and uh, we'll get to know each other. This will be fun. Uh, To my immediate right, take it away. Hello, I'm Ben Acker. I write the Thrilling Adventure Hour sometimes. Hi, I'm Mark Evan Jackson. Hi, Janet Varney. I am Timothy Amundsen. I'm Mark Gagliardi. I'm Craig Kikowski. I am Scott Edson. I'm Autumn Reeser. My name is Ben Blacker. I also write the show with Ben Acker. Drop it. Drop the mic. Drop the mic. And I am Hal Lubbin. That's a, a, a very uh, gentle way of dropping the mic that I encourage all of you to try at home. The point is made, but no property is damaged. Um, let's start with a brief origin story. Acker and Blacker, you meet at Syracuse University. Correct. And you are introduced solely on the basis of your remarkably similar names. Correct. That is Points. not why you start. Uh, that is not why you start writing together. Uh, what brought you to the idea of a live radio play in Los Angeles? Uh, for those who don't know, well, we lived in Los Angeles, so that was a start. Um, for those who don't know, Ben and I uh, had written a Sparks Nevada Marshall on Mars feature film script. Do not ask about it. It is 12 years old at this point and terrible. Um, we've learned a, a lot since then. <laughs> uh, and we had a bunch of our friends over to read it. Uh, and we had, uh, including Mark Agliardi, was there playing Tex? Yep. Is that right? Um, and. We had never really heard our stuff read aloud by professional actors, and it sounded you still great. still haven't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it was inspiring, and we walked away saying there must be a way to kind of continue telling these stories as well as get this on its feet and, and have professional actors uh, reading material that people hopefully want to see uh, and exploit our friends a little bit. You're not following up with that? And so we did. <laughs> So when the show started 10 years ago at M-Bar in Los Angeles, am I correct? Correct. Um, what, were your, what, was your, what was your end game? Did you have a... a, a... We barely had this a is gym it. game. This is it. We're doing it. We just wanted to get on this stage. You're right. Sweet. I'm glad we're, I could help. It's going to take us 12 years, but we're going to get to Chicago. Okay. <laughs> L.A. to Chicago is not your standard show business trajectory, but I... Uh, I it's a great I, theater town, though. <laughs> um, what... Um, uh, so tell me about that. Tell me if, as much as you remember, and anyone else who was there, please chime in. What was that first show like? I, I, it, for those of you who don't know, um, and there will be boos and cries, I know, but uh, it just... Uh, Philly Adventure Hour just wrapped its 10-year run of monthly shows at Largo in Los Angeles. Very emotional evening. It has not podcast yet, so we'll go light on spoilers. But let's go back. What was that first show at M-Bar like? Did you immediately know, like, oh, we've caught lightning in a bottle? Or anyone who was in there, uh, chime in. It was a different. It was a different show. It was uh, the basic elements were there. There was a Sparks Nevada. There was a Beyond Belief. Uh, Mark Evan Jackson, Mark Eglarity, Paul and Paget were there. Um, but it was a little more theater of the mind. At least this was how Ben and I scripted it. It was uh, some very long, ornate passages about using your imagination. Uh, and we realized very quickly that if you're going to have a long uh, live audience and you want to know if the show is going well, they need to laugh. Uh, so yeah, we, anyone can say, "Oh, that was that was a good show," but you can't tell. 
<laughs> early on, early on, there was also that sort of wink of uh, the radio audience because it wasn't yeah. being podcast. It was just, it was only a live show. There was no recording of anything. So there were a lot of bits that were uh, like Presto Prescott, professor of prestidigitation, the radio magician, um, <laughs> who Hal narrated what he was doing, which I thought was really funny. He, this was Derek Hughes, who is a uh, Los Angeles actor and magician. He's an actual magician. He would be on stage doing tricks, uh, and then Hal would be narrating his thing. And Ben and I would kind of write a ramp up to the trip about how he found this trick in deep, dark Africa and... All this stuff. It was, it was uh, a fun bit. The worst like, was, in order to write the things about the trick, he felt like he had to show us how the tricks were done. I don't yeah. want to know that. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. oh, that's a bummer. I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry. What do you mean, we're done? It's magic. <laughs> no, no, Mark, it's totally magic. <laughs> um, how much in the way of research into actual old radio plays did uh, the, okay. uh, did the bands do? I think I've answered my own question, but, but, but go ahead. We have encyclopedic knowledge. Ask us anything. Uh, what, how much research did you do into, into the old, damn it, into uh, old-style radio plays? Did you uh, listen no. to The Shadow? Did you listen we to... We heard an episode of The Shadow. All right. The Shadow The Shadow is impossible to listen to now. Of all of those old radio shows, it's the one that sounded like it was recorded in a shower with KFC buckets over everyone's head. Oh, really? Yeah, it's impossible to listen to The Shadow. So I'm glad that we have quality microphones and good sound people at Largo. Uh, so what was the... At what point during the show's run did you start podcasting? I don't remember. It was five years in. Five years when in. When we made the move to Largo, we started actually getting good recordings of everything and started podcasting fairly soon after that. At what point did you realize you had, and I, I, I don't use this term lightly, kind of a global phenomenon on your hands? You guys are going, no, you guys are going to Australia next, uh, next month. Um, you guys are going to New Zealand next month. You guys have been all over the United States. What point did you, did like the emails start to take in a certain international flavor? <laughs> maybe, honestly, maybe only a year ago. Really? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was maybe a year, year and a half ago that we started doing more conventions, kind of getting out there a little more. We did the crossover with Welcome to Night Vale. <laughs> um, we did the crossover with Wits, and that was only six months ago. But yeah, it was really only about a, a year, year and a half ago that we started to see a real effect. Um, and I think we've talked about the first time we saw that we had an audience outside of L.A. was the first time we went to New York, which was 2013. And um, we've told the story before, but I will tell it again briefly. But, you know, we all kind of realized backstage that they might have no idea who we are. Mm -hmm. We sold this on the back of Paul and John Hodgman, and <laughs> <laughs> they might not know what this show is. And then Hal came out and started uh, the, Sparks the, the Sparks intro with Kids Shine Your Astro Spurs, and the crowd went crazy. And it was an amazing moment for all of us backstage. Well, it's funny because I've, I've witnessed, I was a fan of the show for years before I got a chance to start doing it, so I'm uniquely qualified to be up here. <laughs> um, and I, uh, but I remember one particular show where uh, Mark Evan Jackson and Mark Gagliardi, you guys were given a flag that had been yeah. overseas. Oh, gosh. Yeah. That was amazing. Yeah, tell us about that. Uh, uh, an active duty Air Force uh, uh, service member, uh, Jenny Nelson, um, it, was a, it was an episode where Nathan Fillion was with us as well, and she was uh, back home on a hiatus, and she brought us... Uh, I think it's called Leave. <laughs> <laughs> Los Angeles. <laughs> they had... she, did, she didn't get picked up for another year. <laughs> <laughs> they had wrapped the war before the back 13, and... <laughs> and... <laughs> That's I'm, all right, Jackson. It's I'm always good. pilot season in the Air Force. Right? <laughs> oh! <laughs> Thank you so much. Good night. <laughs> please, please don't reward that behavior. Um, she brought us a um, a flag, a U.S. flag, a combat flown uh, U.S. flag, and a certificate, and. Um, 
I could lose it right now just thinking about it. And we took photographs with it. Like, it was very, very moving. Is that, uh, do you have that blacker? Is that with you? Yeah. Yeah. I think it, she had presented it to you because she had been listening to the Sparks Nevada's, uh, the Sparks Nevada podcast while overseas. They, um, they fly combat missions. She was uh, a, a crew member uh, on an, like an AWACS plane, like a, a, an airborne command and control jet. And they would, on their way to the combat mission, uh, they would all listen to the thrilling adventure hour in their headset. They would pipe it throughout the airplane, which is bananas. Uh, interesting side note to that. She uh, met her fiancé and later husband through the thrilling adventure hour. She got him into it. And then later on, I officiated their wedding um, in California. In they character? Were from LA. It, <laughs> you know, were you spooky Hal or folksy Hal? Yeah. I gave them the option, and they wanted, uh, they wanted like, will you include a Martian wedding blessing? And I was like, sure, that's a thing. <laughs> so I turned to the Bens to have them write something, which I then rewrote, because their family is, uh, is observant. Of religion, <laughs> maybe the Martians are a little bit different about it. <laughs> yeah, it was vaguely blasphemous, but uh, it was it was very nice, and her family was very cool about it, and and that was a that was a neat thing to sort of have them come in and bring that flag, and then become part of the family. Were you spooky Hal or folksy Hal when you? <laughs> I did I did both. I'll do spooky Hal if they ever break up. They won't. <laughs> it's going to be a great, strong <laughs> wedding. Yeah. Can you officiate a divorce? You can't do that? I feel like that'd be pretty you've probably, spooky. You've probably figured this out, but in the script, uh, when, when Hal does his, uh, his voiceovers, and that's him at the beginning of Sparks Nevada, that's him at the beginning of, uh, of Beyond Belief, uh, the, the uh, character name is either Spooky Hal or Folksy Hal. And there are others. On. There's um, Newsreel Hal. Yes. There's James Mason Hal. <laughs> oh, I haven't heard James Mason Hal. How does that go? James Mason Howe used to do the narration for Colonel Tick-Tock. That's such an incredible James Mason, I want to keep my small daughter away from it. (laughs) Bring it to me, John. I want to meet your daughter. Nope, that's not okay. That is not okay. Um, uh, as long as we're on the uh, Sparks Nevada uh, theme. Yeah, and let's we, stay here. Yeah, okay. Uh, Mark Evan Jackson, how has Sparks evolved, without going too spoilery, uh, since the last episode is not podcast yet? How has uh, Sparks evolved over the ten years? When will the last episode podcast? Because I'm tired of not talking about this. Not till August. Really? Yeah. <laughs> we we can do it guys, sooner, but then they'll be done. Is that what you want? Do you want that? <laughs> All right. Um, that was so simultaneous. <laughs> early on, uh, early on, I feel like Ben and Ben wrote Sparks as a legitimate hero, which I guess he still is. Um, <laughs> but he was more of a rough and tumble cowboy, right? He was, um, yeah. he was kind of a leading man, and I think he had fewer foibles. Quieter too. He was like a Gary Cooper type. Okay. Uh, which I found, which, which I found boring. Um, uh, Doesn't work on radio. Yeah. Um, but you know, the, there's so much, and I think this is a testament to their writing. There's so much that was there on the page day one. Like the um, at the very first rehearsal, when I saw the words "I ellipsis," I'm ellipsis from Earth. It was like, oh well, I know how to do this. Um, and uh, and so much of it, just in the very first episode. When we get to the bridge of the Sparks Nevada theme, um, the, uh, on the plains of the Red Planet, I uphold the law. Uh, that's something that's evolved, because for no reason later I started going, law wah, um, just, just for fun, and I kept, and kept it. Um, but, uh, but early on, the very first episode, I sang that in kind of a Dudley Do-Right voice for no reason, just that middle bit. And uh, once we did it and we came back for a second episode of the next month, it was like... Well, I guess that's canon now. I should probably do it. And for 10 years, I've done it for that reason, um, just out of sort of an honor and, and respect for the show. But, but the Sparks was, uh, the, the heroic elements of Sparks were there um, from the beginning. Um, the stuff that makes him kind of dumb uh, is, uh, that came from me. <laughs> uh, Mark, how has uh, uh, Croach kind of uh, changed? We've heard him, we've, he's learned so much about Earthling culture uh, yeah. over the past 10 years. Uh, I think the emotional thing is the big, is the big thing for Croach, that it started, um, 
that Croach started very uh, Spock-like and has grown uh, and learned emotions and he's gotten uh, lippy. He's gotten lippy. He's gotten lippy. Yeah, uh, which Fuck is the milk. most fun part um, to get lippy at Sparks. Uh, no, which I think that was one of the strange things last night in the show because the comic books are sort of it's newer it's earlier in their relationship mm-hmm. so to play uh, to play a version of Cro- bless you to play a version of Croach that uh, that isn't as uh, in touch with the human emotions was a little difficult uh, last night to try and to try and pull that back um, and like the idea that this uh, this very uh, stoic logical Martian ten years later is going to be married to the, or out going out with the Red Plains rider and having romantic entanglements and it's just gross and these <laughs> it's, it's just the worst it's all right you have your you have your lady um, yeah it's that that's that's been the big thing is learning humanity speaking of uh, Sparks Nevada and emotion that leads us seamlessly to Janet Varney um, see you have your lady um, uh, what um, you kind of uh, hopped onto a moving train uh, when you when you joined uh, Sparks Nevada regularly? Uh, what was that like? Um, well, I I had been doing the show. I mean, I think I've been doing it since kind of the beginning of Largo almost. Yeah, it's been very five early years, on. I think. Um, and and the only thing I had really done, I mean, I did small things, and I had been doing um, Donna Henderson in Beyond Belief, and so Anna. On a on a practical level, I couldn't I couldn't believe I was going to be in the first half of the show. Because <laughs> for me, always it was like sing the first song, then you're down about forty five minutes backstage uh, listening to the other show. And uh, uh, but uh, but I was really excited, but I was also I was a little nervous because um, I know that the fans love love Sparks and, and love that yeah, whole do. world and. Uh, <laughs> And um, <laughs> these guys are very talented. Um, no, but I, you know, I wanted it to. I wanted to sort of be able to fit in and, and have a reason for being there that that didn't feel uh, like I was just jumping in and making you fall in love with me. Um, uh, but I loved it, and I loved the way that uh, the character was was pitched to me. I think Acker sort of said, you know, give it this sort of very sincere, true grit kind of, which is why I was like, it sounds like you wanted to have braids. Uh, <laughs> actors, <laughs> actors. But it is—it's a—it's a testament to Janet uh, because the audience, especially the live audience uh, at Largo and at, in New York, are very protective of Sparks and of Mark. And you know, so it was—it really was a risky thing bringing you in to to do this like last year and a half, uh, and they embraced you much more quickly than even Ben and I had anticipated. We, I remember sitting in our office and we're going, how are we going to make the audience fall in love with Ginny as Sparks is? Uh, and they beat us to it. They, they were there from episode two. Yeah. Was the second step of that conversation, how do we keep busy from hating Janet? <laughs> never an issue. It was never an issue. <laughs> an impossible task to uh, achieve. Um, uh, so every, every show uh, begins with Sparks Nevada. Ends with Beyond Belief. What do we call the second act? We just call it the second act? Do we call it the... The, the middle bit. The Oreo, right? The, the middle, middle bit? bit. The middle bit. Uh, we have a couple of uh, cast members from uh, Middle Bits. Um, let's talk for a moment. Just a moment, though, because... Sure. No, we'll get back to Sparks. Um, let's talk about Amelia Earhart, Fearless Flyer, for a moment. Uh, Autumn, I, 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 I love that segment so much because it's so loyal to the period of the 1940s, so loyal to that radio period. And there's something, I didn't notice this for a while, but there's something a little daft about Amelia. You know, there's just something where you're like, wow, um, she's not the, hmm. Tell she's, us about, she's a narcissist. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Tell us about Amelia and how you, how you approach it. Um, the first time when I joined the show, when it was at M Bar, and uh, Padgett was doing Amelia, and I saw I saw one episode of the show, and then the second episode I came in and did the show, and they had me playing Amelia, and so the only thing I was thinking is I had to live up to what Padgett had done. So I basically, t- 
So, so I did a bunch of research into like 1940s movies and ended up kind of doing a combination of what Paget had done mixed with like a bastardized Catherine Hepburn voice, and um, it was super. Which sounded like Amelia Earhart, fearless flyer. Right. Um, kind of like that. But she's, I think Amelia, my favorite thing about her is she's completely convinced of her own greatness <laughs> and um, that she is here to save the world. And um, I, I just love that sort of like all American apple pie, like 50s sense of we can do it about her. Um, she's, she's really, really fun to play. I think the first time I did the show, I played um, a Nazi in the Christmas show. <laughs> As you do. Uh, as you do. And it was, uh, so actually you have a special place in my heart, Autumn, because it was, it was an Amelia Earhart uh, episode was when I made my, uh, my TAH debut. I always feel bad for the guest stars when they come in and the first thing they give them is a Nazi because it's like, hi, come to our show with a German accent. Um, it's always, I really always feel bad for them. Thank you. I accept your pity. Yeah, you're welcome. We, we tend to ask uh, guest stars, um, you know, because they, get to, they can play in our show uh, really anything, things they don't get to play in TV shows and movies and stuff. So we say, like, if there's anything you've ever really wanted to play, let us know, because it'll help us uh, think of ideas to just take yours. And uh, more often than not, they're like, there's Nazis in your show, right? <laughs> that seems fun. Well, which is not a reflection of them as people so much as villains are fun to play, I think. No, they absolutely are. Villains are absolutely fun. And villains with crazy accents uh, that sound... Uh, cartoonish when amateur actors are doing them are, uh, are, are extra fun. Um, uh, let's talk for a moment about Moonshine Holler. Um, which I, I, I really have a soft spot for because it's so... There's a, a, it's never maudlin, but there's a sentimentality running through Moonshine Holler that maybe isn't in the other parts because of its main narrative thrust, which is Craig Kukowski... What's our, what's our, what is the main goal of Moonshine Holler? Well, Banjo Bindle stuff, uh, formerly Jasper Manor Lodge, is trying to... Uh, Wait, I thought he wasn't. <laughs> he's trying to reunite with his hobo princess and find the, uh, the fingerless glove that fits only her. Right? Um, Why is that not a movie? Um, uh, fine question. The, um, uh, so how, I, I'm always struck by how that show, again, that, that part of the show always manages to be a little sort of teary and heartfelt without ever getting really overdone. Do you, are you conscious of that walk, of that sort of balance you have to strike, or are you just that awesome? <laughs> I, the, well, I'm just thinking of the last episode yeah. that, that we did careful Largo I won't reveal anything it was very emotional for me and Hal uh, and we just love playing those characters and it's I think uh, it's really adventure for all of the genre homages and great joke writing it's really a show about relationships mm-hmm. you know yeah. and Sparks and Croach are the heart of, uh, of that segment Frank and Sadie and Gummy and Banjo is another just great relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's, it's partially just my affection for Hal and, uh, and Banjo's affection for Gummy. And, uh, and it's also, it's a very melodramatic piece, too. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, they all kind of follow the same arc of uh, some, you know, maiden in a town falls in love with Banjo. Uh, he has a, a dramatic soliloquy where he wonders whether he should reveal his true identity or not. Uh, and then uh, ends up saving the day somehow. And then that lone rattler uh, uh, is off in the distance and they've got to head back out on the rails again. So it's, uh, it's very melodramatic and emotional, I think. But I try to add as many pathos to every character I play as possible, including the Nazis. Uh, how, how did you come across Gummy's voice? Uh, so I was raised on, um, on old-time radio as well. My father would buy these cassette packs, and we'd listen to them all the time, um, among which was the Jack Benny show. Uh, Jack Benny had a, a valet named Rochester who was played by an actor named uh, Ernie Anderson, I believe is his name. Um, and that voice, not... 
not the cultural implication of the voice, but just being able to being able to create that intonation with your voice because it's it, it's uh, kind of a feat. So I'd always sort of practice it, just like it. Number one, the voice, and number two, it horrified me that that was a characterization of African Americans. Like that was what 1940 radio. Like they would just show, and go, "What can I do for you? Can I get your bag?" So taking that voice and using it for a white guy. <laughs> Seems to sort of level it out and just seem like uh, like that's the kind of voice a hobo would have. He's been on the road a lot. It's that Dust Bowl era, so he's inhaling a lot of dirt. Uh, so, so it sort of made sense that that would be like if there's a Yoda of hobos, then that's what he would sound like. Uh, we will draw attention now to my, uh, uh, my fellow guest stars in the show uh, who uh, pop in occasionally. And it really does feel like you're jumping onto a moving train when you, when you come in. It's super fun, and you have script in hand, but it's still sort of exhilaratingly terrifying. Uh, Timothy Amundsen, uh, what are... Um, did I pronounce that right? Yes. Yeah. Um, what are uh, what are some of the favorite things that they've let you do on uh, Thrilling Adventure Hour? Uh, Nazi. Sure. Um, sure. That's a given. Let's just go. Everyone. Just everyone loves there. playing Nazis. You would too. Um, uh, the gay Cockney fishmonger will always be close to my heart. We'll Wait. What? <laughs> Which we'll one was this? That. Which one was the gay Cockney fishmonger? Bob McCrums yep. in uh, Colonel TikTok. Oh. And what, um, what, what, what might he have sounded like? What, what? what would he have, uh, the gay cockney fishmonger, what would he have sounded like? Well, he sort of sounded like this, didn't he? <laughs> um, I just, he really misses him. Decides to pop in and out his life, doesn't he? Uh, <laughs> but I... Half the time, I'm going to be honest, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> you get the script, and either I, I'm unfamiliar with that bit or, or that storyline, but they'll quickly fill it in, and you are just encouraged to make a bold choice, which is always a delicious thing for an actor to go, and you just go. And occasionally you get to play a similar thing again, or you get to do that guy again, you can sort of refine it, and it is just being up there... It's not without a net, because these people, are, you know there's nothing you can do wrong that they're not going to help you with or fix, and the audience is just, it's just this warm blanket of love the entire time, yeah. on stage, off stage, coming from the house, it's delightful. <laughs> uh, Scott, that's it. Uh, what are some... Uh... Now, you're a regular performer when the show comes to New York. Yeah, I live in New York, so I play at the Bell House with everybody. Okay. And what are some, uh, uh, some uh, fond uh, characters you've gotten a chance to do? Uh, uh, I have a recurring in Sparks. Uh, I think he's been on twice. Yeah. What's his name? Uh, Bill Clover. Bill Clover. Bill Clover. Bill Clover. Bill Clover. Sheriff. Sheriff. Uh, and, uh, sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I just <laughs> started mispronouncing Sheriff. Uh, for no reason but to get a laugh. Um, and uh, I, I really liked him because he just did not want the job uh, and didn't want a position of authority and would defer all the time to the marshal. Um, and, uh, and I really liked doing that just because it pretty much I would just look forward to the end of a line, which would be when I get to go, Sheriff! <laughs> or Marshal! Um... <laughs> It's the little victories. But it was, it was actually, I remember running that with you backstage at Bell House, and it was fascinating watching Scott find that game, uh, because it, you started out very straightforward, and then as we slid further and further into the script, it would become, sure, sure, sure. <laughs> it was a genius. Uh, yeah, genius. And... Uh... <laughs> And then I've played a bunch of, like, uh, villainous victims on uh, Beyond Belief, people who transform uh, a lot, which I really love, because the great thing about Ben and Ben is they will very seldom say you're doing this wrong. They will just let you go, and, uh, and if you feel that you're maybe missing the mark, then you go to them. Otherwise, they're like, we'd love to have you, just with everybody. 
Uh, we'd love to have you do what you do and enjoy yourself because this is just fun for everybody, and especially them. They love watching their words. And, um, and that's what it is. I get, to, I get to play several different characters in a scene and nobody's telling me I'm doing it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I've said this before, that what, what has always struck me about the show as a performer is that it is the closest thing that you get to matching that kind of dangerous excitement of high school theater <laughs> in the sense that, like, everyone, you show up and everyone looks a little bit nicer than you're used to seeing them. <laughs> Except for Tompkins, of course. Um, and uh, everyone looks a little nicer than you're used to seeing them. No one really is prepared. <laughs> but we're going to give it our all. <laughs> And, and that adrenaline rush that you get from, like, being backstage during the 11th grade, grade production of Fiddler on the Roof is, is matched, I think, by being backstage at Largo for a thrilling adventure. It, it's really exciting. Let's go down the line real quick before we open up the floor to um, pick one memory you're going to take with you from the 10-year run. Start with you, Acker. No, end with me. Okay, great. No, wait, middle with me. Middle with me. <laughs> now there's counting. Uh, Mark Evan Jackson. Oh, good heavens. Um... You won't hear it, hear it until August. Um, but the, uh, the only spoiler I will offer is that Ben and Ben craft the most beautiful not riding off into the sunset, riding off into the sunset for Sparks that, um, that you could ever hope for. Janet. Uh, <clears throat> well, I can't. I mean, I listen. I got to go with uh, <laughs> how how fun it is to be an idiot uh, sometimes because you get the best surprises from it. Um, which is that I, when when we did our show um, and were given these astonishing, wonderful puppets, um, I really did not have any idea at all that I was going to be made a work juice player. Because I was like, hey, it's at the end. Who would be mean enough to make you a work juice player right before the show ends? That's like super cruel. They're not going to do that. Um, no, but I was backstage and, and you know, they, they had called everyone out and, and, uh, and for some reason, like, I just didn't have any idea that it was happening. And so I really had what I'm sure will be the closest, thank God, to a pageant moment where, <laughs> where, when uh, when my name was called, y'all, uh, I seriously burst into tears. I came out like I had no idea. I feel like a tiara was placed on my head, and I was given a wreath like a ro- roses and a sash. Um, I was so emotional about it, and then to get the puppets, and then to sing Rainbow Connection. Uh, with everybody is something that I will never forget, and um, it was uh, it was one of the the best moments I've had in in my life as a performer, truly. Um, and I love these guys. I don't think I I have one specific moment. I've I've several little moments, and they are when I would show up to the little room where we rehearse and look around and see. A movie star across the thing, also reading, is going, holy crap, we're gonna, we, I get to play with him. Um, Michael Sheen was that one, one day. Oh, and like, I get to play an Englishman with Michael Sheen, that's amazing. Um, <laughs> just being backstage and being in that dressing room and the chaos and, and who are you? Oh, hi. And just this, again, this feeling of camaraderie with all these people, many of whom you've seen in, in television and I admire. Um, Standing outside, uh, not smoking cigarettes, uh, <laughs> not drinking whiskey with people, and just really getting to know this group of people. I, I've, Richard Spade, who is also sort of a regular guest star, he and I went to college together, and we've said on several occasions, we bemoan the fact that no group came out of our college education. Like, there was no, there was no state, there was no broken lizard there was not no troop and we feel that this is our troop mm. and it really it's a very very special thing for me to be able to just be a part of it and be here so thanks uh 
Actually, um, we're going to go back to the middle now. <laughs> ben just told me he's ready, so let's stop everything. And I, I didn't say that. Uh, <laughs> but no, I, I'll never forget the time that uh, Fillion first did our show. And the specific memory that I have is that he brought who would be a, our eventual fan base to the program. And it was three months in at Largo, and we were finding our footing with that stage. We were finding our audience with it. Like, it was... A, it wasn't, it, wasn't, it was a full house. It wasn't, you know, full to bursting or anything uh, before that. But we got the word out, so this was <clears throat> a huge audience. And the moment that I'll never forget is we sent Gruber out to do a little warm-up, a little hello. And the audience just uh, were so excited to be there. The cheer rose up. And I saw Jackson and Mark and Craig look the coolest I've ever seen anyone look. They just, they heard, oh, they're here, and we know what to do. Like it was, it was the Reservoir Dogs walking down the street. Like it was the coolest. Like they belong to us now, with their eyes. <laughs> Back to you, Gagliardi. Sorry about that. Oh please, I will always defer to Acker. Um, there. Uh, Thanks. It for me. Um, there is a million, and that Rainbow Connection moment was like that was a, a magical thing. Um, but I think. The thing that most vividly comes to mind is the beginning of the show. Uh, there are three moments that happen at the beginning of every show that I will always hold on to. Uh, that is, I share a, a hug with uh, Hal and Craig and Annie on stage, um, and I check in with my marshal and report for duty, and then the band starts playing. Uh, uh, that moment is uh, is really special to me. Kukowski. Uh Other than the puppets, thank you, Jamie. Uh, which I think would be Jamie Entertainment. Right the there. Wait, stand Jamie, up, stand, stand up. up. Stand up. If you follow the show on social media, you saw that they uh, the Work Juice players all got uh, commemorative uh, puppets that were designed by Jamie, who just stood up, and they're amazing. You can see the photos online. They're great. One of, one of them is at the booth, right? Yeah, one of them is yeah. right here. Oh, it's, one of them is right here. Philip Fathom. Fathom. Philip Fathom is actually Stand joining up. us here. Stand yeah. Amazing. They're amazing. So that's number one, but uh, the, the final show... Uh, one thing I liked is that we had so many guests, like 30 guests, I don't know. But, they, but we, you guys didn't really do any stunt casting for it. There weren't like any new superstars who hadn't done the show came in. Uh, everybody had done the show before, and, and some of them dating back to Embar, and some of them had not done the show since Embar. And, uh, you know, like, like uh, Yuri and Tara and Common Rotation, you know... And uh, it just felt like, it just reminded me that it's all a big family. It just felt like there's so many friends coming in. You know, it wasn't guest stars, it was just friends. You know, we don't... (laughs) We don't rehearse it that vigorously. Uh, (laughs) What happens generally is we sit backstage and we read through the script once, about a half hour before curtain. And uh, it's really just to make sure we're not mispronouncing words. And uh, we all give it about 50 to 51%. And there's a great joy in then the show starting and you walk out to your mic and uh, everybody is doing something you haven't seen them do yet. (laughs) And uh, so you're watching kind of a, a crucible of creation right there. It's happening right there. They may have had in their mind whatever. They haven't tried it yet. And it's happening right in front of you. And it's all very spontaneous and playful, and people go off book, and it's just, it's just a real joy to be up there on that tightrope. Uh, and sometimes you fall off. <laughs> I remember, oh, God, it was, it was great. I was doing Beyond Belief, and I did something that made Paget and Paul F. laugh. And <laughs> I felt like it was, I got very emotional. I felt like they put a tear on my head. And, uh, and, <laughs> and it was, uh, it's like in my work on stage, I, I don't want to break. I hate breaking, and I don't want to do it when I'm doing live TV or whatever. Uh, it's just a no-no, and it's really very unprofessional. I don't like seeing it. 
But in that situation, I'm all for it. Um, I think some of my favorite moments are guest star moments, like when we, um, in the rehearsal process, when we were first doing the show at MBAR, and then for a while at Largo, we would have once-a-week rehearsals before the show. We don't do that anymore. We, there's, it's just right before the show that we rehearse. But for a time, we were more professional. And... Um, <laughs> Uh, we, this was, there wasn't really, you couldn't listen to the music in advance before the podcast, obviously. And so the guest stars would just show up at rehearsal. We'd be like, okay, and now we're going to sing this song that you've never heard before. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. And like watching the look, this is one of my favorite moments on Joseph Gordon-Levitt's face in rehearsal when we were like, oh yeah, you're singing a song by yourself. Oh, you've never heard it before. It's fine. We'll play it for you right now. And then you can do it tomorrow. And watching the look on his face, just go, that's not happening. (laughs) That's one of my favorite moments. <laughs> uh, mine, mine are uh, a couple. Something that Ben and I sort of discovered about storytelling as we went through, and it's a thing that we learned from stuff we love, like Buffy and The West Wing, and um, is yeah, yeah, those are good shows. Um, <laughs> is not to give the audience what they want or what they say they want, but to give them. Uh, an, in, an inevitable surprise uh, and so we kind of got to do that in the show a couple of times where it just worked perfectly like from the time we ta- sat down and talked about it in our office going can we, can we get away with this will they be so mad at us <laughs> to that time it happened on stage uh, and one was after the whole Jib Janine saga which who was a shape-shifting Jupiter spy to do the episode where they, uh, Sparks and Croach and the characters are talking about Cactoid Jim and here comes Cactoid Jim and then Paul comes out <laughs> as Cactoid Jim followed five minutes later by Fillion <laughs> was so satisfying um, and a similar thing in Beyond Belief uh, when we opened the curtain this was just a few months ago and I think we just put the podcast out when we opened the curtain on Paul and John Hamm uh, instead of Paul and Paget, and it made me laugh so much. Oh, the <laughs> audience was simultaneously. Was... Yeah, oh, I am oh. so mad. I am so excited. Yeah, you. It was amazing to hear. You could hear the audience crest of like they started to applause just because they do when that curtain opens and they're ready to see Paul and Paget, and then it dipped a little bit, <laughs> and then they realized it was John Hamm. <laughs> And it, wrote, it was amazing to hear. And then, you know, every month there is uh, a moment uh, that it didn't strike me until maybe the past six months that this is my favorite moment of the show. Um, and it's when the show is over and the thank yous are going on and Hal and Gagliardi are bringing out the actors one by one and then they're bringing out uh, the guest stars and then, and I'm standing in the wings with Aaron Ginsberg, our director, and Todd Cooper, our curtain man. And it's just the three of us there watching this thing at the end of a long night of work. Uh, and there's such joy on stage, and it's unbelievably satisfying. And I, I will miss that very much. Um, as far as on stage goes, I think the, the middle segments of the final two shows, which I know have not come out yet, there was something kind of beautiful about the way the Benz threaded the needle on a lot of different uh, segments. It was really fun to perform um, and to sort of see everybody. Uh, it felt like the best, almost like the best work of those segments. Like it sort of built upwards the whole time, which is nice. Um, another one for me was doing an ad called Philadelphia Story with Paula Tompkins. <laughs> Uh, because we're both from Philadelphia, it's the both of us doing horrendous Philadelphia accents. <laughs> and the fact that we both giggle and laugh like children while doing it, we've never gotten through it clean, uh, is a really like special experience for me. Um, and then, in a general sense, just uh, this group of people that I've been with for 10 years, it's a long time to, to know anybody and to have a friendship and... Where, where our lives have gone in those 10 years is pretty incredible. And we've all been there with each other, and we've met a lot of great new friends along the way, people who I've uh, respected and looked up to long before I ever met them. So that's, you know, it's very rare as a performer to have an experience like this, 
once, let alone for 10 years. So that's, I really cherish that. Also, uh, sorry, I just want to say, first of all, uh, not to derail, but you are doing such a kick-ass job, John Ross Howie. Oh, I'd have left more. If I, I was believe, really great, I'd have left more time I can't for believe questions. you didn't know for 20 minutes, that, until 20 minutes before, you're an ace. Did you talk about a memory? And also, just to quickly acknowledge, it is so hard every time we come out and travel without core members. It is hard. It is very hard being here without Annie Savage and Padre Brewster and Paul of Tom. Like, it's very hard for us. It's not like we're like, oh, here we all are. We feel their absence acutely, as we know you do. So we love them, and we wish they were here. Indeed. Indeed. Um, Real quick, uh, getting to play Clark Gregg's husband. Duh. Um, uh, uh, Twice. Um, uh, uh, let's go to questions. Uh, there's a mic right there in the center. Yes, by all means, this defeating frenzy. We don't have time for as many as I'd like, so let's keep them brief and, and, and one sentence, and uh, we'll go. Sir, take it away. Uh, the floor is yours. I'm Jimmy from Michigan. Hi, Jimmy from Michigan. Uh, and I just had a question for the panel. In an episode of Moonshine Holler with Just Desserts, everybody kind of spiraled and went off book. And Do any of you have a favorite memory of going off book other than that episode? <laughs> That, that same, actually, during that same episode, we, the, the pages were double printed, so double sided, uh, which is very rare. So it's hard, like, the, the whole thing is like, I don't want to lose my place. I have to remember, I flip it and then turn the script over. And I had a, a line at the, top, at the top of a page on the other side, and I missed it. And uh, Craig said something to me about it, and I went to the back wall, and he was giving a speech, and then he did the same thing. <laughs> that was a fun, fun kind of off script moment. I just realized I didn't say Busy Phillips. Oh, my God. I couldn't love him. <laughs> As I imagine people being like, boy, she really does not like Busy. Man, she hates you, more. Janet. One of my Janet, she can't the stand you. She's just always very busy shooting always, 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 and has two small children. Okay. <laughs> um, Craig, what was... Uh, you were doing something recently in a German accent, and there was a very sticky word, impossible to pronounce. Intricacies. Intricacies. <laughs> Which uh, your whole throat closes while you try to say that in a German accent. And uh, I feel like I pushed you to keep going, and I feel like Nathan Fillion pushed you to keep going. Yeah. You wouldn't let me off the hook. Right. (laughs) And then it was already written in the script, uh, I think the line that Nathan had was like, you stumbled into that. Right. uh, Was what Ben and Ben had written. And after, like, improvising around me not being able to say this word for like three minutes, Nathan was like, well, you just stumbled and stumbled and stumbled into that. (laughs) Yes, ma'am. Hi, um, my name is Amanda. I live here in Chicago. Hi, Amanda from Chicago. Hi. Um, So my question is for the Bens. Um, So you guys have obviously created so many great um, characters. And I'm also kind of embarking on creating kind of a character-based podcast with a friend of mine. And um, so I'm wondering what is some advice you guys have for developing characters as part of a writing team and how you keep from getting too attached to, like, the character you came up with. (laughs) Do you keep from getting too attached to the character you come up with? Or, like, territorial. Oh, I see. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's easy. You both have to put that aside and Mm -hmm. say what is best for the show. Uh, and what is best for the character. These characters become very, very real, uh, especially once actors become involved. Uh, You know, I I said this online, but I'll say it again. Sparks Nevada has three authors. Uh, Mark Evan Jackson is as much a part of that creative process as Ben and I are. Uh, He told us that he is. (laughs) Uh, As far as creating memorable characters or, or strong characters, give them layers. You know, they... Nobody is just one thing. Uh, they should be funny and sad and have secrets and also be very open. And, you know, they should have all sorts of things. As far as giving them a voice, think of an actor that you like. Write that because as it's filtered through you, it's not going to be an impression of that actor. It's going to become a different thing. Cool. Uh, and any relationship advice you get about relationships applies to a writing partnership. You know, it's it's about all the you know listening and respecting the other person, and their opinion is as valid as yours. Cool. Thanks. Good luck. Yeah. Good luck. Take it away. Hi, I'm Nora. Um, you have an 
advertisement on there for cigarettes, which I know you do it tongue-in-cheek and everything, and I know it's set in the 1940s, you know, radio drama time when they did allow that, but obviously now we don't allow that. I just wonder if there's, like, an internal conflict in that or if that's just, oh, well, tough shit. That's what we're doing. <laughs> you didn't know it was going to get political, did you? <laughs> no, I'm just so anti-smoking. There, there's not. Uh, I, I, I cringe every time I hear it's it. It's an interesting I'm just question. Like, ooh, that's an ooh, interesting my question. kid's listening to this. Uh, when, it, when it started, it was, we were, leaned much more heavily into the radio conceit, and so it felt very much of its time. And I think we kind of made light of or made fun of the fact that these are cigarette advertisements. They are not advertisements for cigarettes. Um, they are advertisements for advertisements for cigarettes. Um, and then, you know, we just have the uh, confidence of our convictions. And I think cigarettes don't come off well in these ads. Yeah. No. <laughs> they really and do they look they like sound, jerks. They sound horrific. And every, yeah. and every box of, ci- of cigarettes we sell, we give that money to cancer research. Yeah. Oh, well, there we go. Okay. There are no real well, cigarettes. There are no I, real Patriot <laughs> brand cigarettes. At our booth, 993, you can pick up a cart. No, no, there are not. Duty-free. No, they are not duty-free. There are no real cigarettes. Which is truly free. There is coffee, there is no cigarettes. We just come out with menthols. Guys, we have four minutes left. We just take a carton of camels and we repackage. Totally legal. limited edition pack with Mark Aguilar and his face on I feel 100,000% better. Some of you are going to have to come to the booth with your questions. They're now available in heavy 200s. <laughs> Does anyone else have a serious question? <laughs> You're going to have to blame your children's cigarette addiction on yourself. <laughs> Work yes. east. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Hi, I'm Sally. Hi, Sally. Hi. I would like to uh, ask Autumn... I love Amelia Earhart, Fearless Flyer, and my favorite part is the beginning, the back and forth with Amy Adams. I have so many feelings about just that part. And I just want to know, is it as fun to perform as it is to listen to? It's really fun because I think, um, yeah, I love doing that. I think Amelia's sort of has this secret emotional connection with a lot of the people she comes in contact with, but wants to pretend like she doesn't. Um, and so I love, I love that bit that I get to do with Annie, and, and especially because we never actually look at each other. They're never in the same room, but they have such a relationship between the two of them. Hi, my name is Sarah, and I'm from Seattle. Hi, Sarah from Hi. Seattle. Um, I don't know what happened. I walked into the room. They put a tiara on my head. Yeah. And, like, it I just... So good. Call back. Sobbing. It was crazy. It so good. But, seriously, can you talk a little bit more about Virginia West and, like, the troubleshooters and the, how you guys came up with the tech of Sparks Nevada and, like, like the AIs? Like, I'm a... I do tech support, and I listen to Sparks Nevada while I You're do a troubleshooter. Tech I am, like, they are my people. And so to have both of the main troubleshooters be women and have them be these really intelligent, kick-ass characters, like, thank you so much. Uh, we, I, it came out of a, an episode where, uh, you know, Sparks had a, a tech support problem that was lethal because it's sci-fi so um, just that that started us down that path and the idea that the the expression troubleshooter sounds like an old western you know and and then to make it that uh, that that person could be heroic to Sparks was something we hadn't seen before and then we got Yvette Nicole Brown agreed to do the show and we were like yeah, she needs to be that part. Yes. That's cool. Yes. Um, and she, it, so she was she's so, so cool. cool. Uh, and it came, it came out of there. And then uh, I, it was a couple of months, I, I shouldn't say, we plan everything very well all the time. But it, was, <laughs> it was a couple of months into that thing, and I think we were talking about, maybe we were all talking yeah. about, but uh, what if that was the barkeep's wife that we never see? She fights trouble, and he don't want no trouble. <laughs> And then we started to really lean into it and plan it, and then there were months that we had planned to make the reveal, and we couldn't get one or the other or the other of them. So it kept, it kept building in, uh, the suspense on the writing end. Uh, and then, yeah, and then it was in trying to find a, a love interest who is in, equal to Sparks. It's, well, she's got to be a trouble. Better. <laughs> All right, we, we have to get that last question. We have one Wait, minute. I want to get this last question. You can follow up at, at the booth in 993, and, and please swing by. Yes, Hello. Hi, I'm Alice. Uh, I just had a question for the bands. Who's your favorite character to write for? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. boy. Character or actor? Uh, (laughs) Character. Like, who do you have the most fun? 
like writing stories about? I have to say, all of them are fun. I know it's a cop out, but like, there, there's not a character in the show that isn't a pleasure to write because they're all they're each very different. Uh, so it, it's always it takes a little bit. It takes a couple pages of ramping up, and then you are in that character, and and it's just a blast. It's, it's straight up whoever you're currently writing is yeah. your favorite, like from line to line. It's true. And it's got to be. Sorry, bad answer. <laughs> uh, come by booth 993 you can pick up the concert film it has the Philadelphia ad that, ben, uh, that Hal mentioned on it it's one of the bonus features uh, so booth 993 you can come get that guys thank you so much for coming to the Thrilling Adventure Hour have no, a great like, week here, thank you Mark Gagliardi's birthday like, Mark thank Gagliardi's you. birthday